Welcome, Hudson Valley, to this week's edition of In Touch, the public affairs and issues program that runs across Town Square Media, the Hudson Valley radio stations. This week's guest is Evan Mack, founder of We Are Instrumental. Founded in 2020, We Are Instrumental is dedicated to providing well-working musical instruments to students throughout northern New York. Evan and I also talk about his background as a pianist and opera composer. He's been considered one of the most gifted composers of his generation by industry insiders and has published several successful operas. We go into how that all ties into his goal of building this strong music community. We invite you to join us and listen to a previously recorded conversation between Evan and myself here on In Touch. Hello, Hudson Valley. You're listening to In Touch, Town Square Media, the Hudson Valley's public affairs and issues program. We got a great episode for you today. Something that's very near and dear to my heart, obviously, growing up as a musician and taking lessons and having the wonderful opportunities that I had. This is really inspirational to be talking with our guest here today. He's the founder of We Are Instrumental. Not just that, he's a pianist, he's an opera composer, and a music professor at Skidmore College. This guy has so much going on, and I can't wait to get into it with him. We have Evan Mack. Evan, how are you today? Doing fine. It's great to be here. I'm really happy that we were able to sit down. We actually met through a program up in uh, the Troy area, AHA, uh, through WMHT, where actually, uh, I don't think I mentioned this before, I interned there at one point. No uh, yeah, back in 2019, I interned there and uh, uh, always stayed close with all of them. And then they let me know about the AHA program. And that's where I met Evan. Well, we didn't actually meet. We just saw the episode. And then Evan was nice enough to be like, hey, great job on the episode. So that meant a lot to me. Absolutely. But he's got so many cool things going on. And they focused on We Are Instrumental. And I feel like if I just try to give a brief summary, I would give it such injustice so, Evan, could you tell us exactly what is We Are Instrumental? Yeah, great. Um, like I said, it's, it's wonderful to be here. So thank you for giving me this platform to tell everyone what we're doing. So I, I actually live in the Adirondacks, uh, way north of you all. Uh, but it's essentially in the Adirondack Park. There, It's, uh, you know, six million acres. It's where you could have fit every single state park in the United States into Adirondack Park in New York. So you can imagine how spread out it is ge- geographically. We moved to the area, Ticonderoga, in 2019. My my wife is a family physician. She's a, a rural family doctor. And so our household essentially practices community medicine, which means, you know, that if she's if she's tending to the medical side of things, that not comes in pill form or visits. And so me being a musician, um, I wanted to make sure that students up here were having the same access and opportunities that I had or you had kind of that, that, you know, most are afforded in suburban areas or, you know, certain urban centers. And it actually all started when my son came home. He was 10 at the time and told me about all of these instruments that were kind of busted, broken, bandaged with duct tape, because, Ooh. you know, what happens is, is that most students in the area and actually the, most of the region cannot afford to rent or own instruments, let alone the nearest music stores two, three hours away. You have the schools providing this service. You have dedicated teachers and you have schools trying to make a difference, but funds are limited and you can imagine budget cuts, wear and tear, you name it. And so I created We Are Instrumental, which essentially takes gently used instruments from the community. People want to donate them and we get them fixed up and into the hands of kids in multiple school districts across the Adirondack Park. That's absolutely incredible. 
and really cool that you do that. Personally, growing up, my primary instrument was guitar. And I didn't realize at the time growing up, guitars can be on the cheaper end of things. I thought it was expensive just buying like a $200, $300 guitar. And obviously there are much more expensive guitars out there. But like if you're just a kid learning how to play a guitar, $200, $300 is like, oh my gosh. But then when I'm starting to learn like all my friends, how much they're paying for like brass instruments, woodwinds or drum kits, it blew my mind the hundreds and thousands of dollars that they'd be paying for that. I didn't realize that at a time. And that's a huge responsibility to have on a child. Obviously, the child's not paying for it, but on the family right. as a whole. Yeah. So it is really incredible that you're getting a chance to do that with these instruments. So where are these instruments coming from? How do you guys get your hands on all this to get it into the hands of the kids? Right. It's, so it started really in early 2020. Um, I organized just an instrument drive at Skidmore College, which is in Saratoga Springs. So it's the north end of the capital region and the, the start of the southern end to the Adirondacks. And so I thought this is a perfect gateway to make that happen. And so we put out the call in our first drive. We collected 90 instruments. I partnered with uh, Bill Cole, in Cole's, uh, who's uh, the owner of Cole's Woodwind Shop. And that's in Saratoga. Guy's the greatest guy on earth, salt of the earth. He really helped us categorize the instruments that were donated, fix them up at cost or um, donated a lot of his time and services to get these instruments up and running. And he then has been a great, great ally in all this. You know, I mean, that, this guy services all the bands that come to SPAC or the Philadelphia Orchestra when they come into town. So you guys got a world of experience. And then he he came in and, and really, really helped us make this happen. And so that was just kind of year one. And we targeted one school. As soon as that word got out, many other schools are like, hey, we have the same kind of needs. And so we ultimately formed this uh, nonprofit, you know, 501c3. So all donations are charitable donations. People, if they donate their instrument, it gets a tax write-off. We wrote some grants to get all of the instruments fixed. And so since 2020, we've collected 350 instruments that are in multiple school districts now. That's incredible. Yeah, it's really cool. And and what's what's nice, it doesn't stop there. Like Like when you give somebody access to something that they have not had access to. You know, it's, I always say like the distance from zero to one is infinity, right? But when you get to that one, man, the, then then it just, it can snowball, it can grow. It's, it's the potential, you know, it's limitless potential, right? So once that started, then you had kids saying, you know, maybe playing on better instruments, you know, or, or certainly nicer ones and they get their, you know, get their first choice as a fourth or fifth grader, right? So now there's an instant spark as opposed to having to settle uh, on their second or third choice because the school didn't have it available. Or you get, you know, students who quote unquote graduate to a better instrument and now they're like, hey, could I get lessons? And we're like, well, you live two hours away from the nearest saxophone teacher, but how would we figure that out? And so we piloted a lesson program with ArtSmart, a partnership. So we have 12 students already in weekly lessons with college professors, you know, access again that they didn't have because of geographic barriers or financial, right? It's no cost to the student. And we usually do it during the school day because again, up here we have some broadband issues, you know, that mm -hmm. people don't have high-speed internet or it's it's hard to afford, right? So it's kind of thinking of those things, like how can we continue to get access? And to bring Bill Cole further as the um, person who does the instrument repair, 
We also started offering uh, training for teachers because oftentimes problem happens and they they don't have the know-how. They just send out the instrument. It takes weeks to go away. Now, you know, these six-week problems can be fixed in one day because the teachers have the know-how. And when they do it, they get New York State continuing education credit to learn that that skill set, right? So it makes their job easier. They get credit doing it. And ideally, it makes their program thrive and more sustainable. That's fantastic to be able to do that. And I really love the analogy that you gave uh, with zero to one. It's infinite until you get to one. It really is that first step, that first walk through the door, finally getting in there. It was like, oh, my God, this is is possible. And it really makes a difference. And not just with the students, but as you said, with the teachers there, getting to teach the teachers how to fix those problems instead of like, oh, no, we got to wait forever or it's a catastrophe being able to fix a problem before a problem even arises. Right. Really cool. Right. Keeping problems small so that they stay small. So that way, you know, in the long term that these budget issues that put some of these schools in the problem, they don't bust the budget, right? Or the the other thing you think about, when we bring in these new instruments that are well working now, you're adding value to that music program, right? You're bringing in, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of well working instruments that were donated. You know, by the way, when they're not working and they're donated, they're not, they're worth nothing. But once you fix it and put in, you know, some grant money to restore it, now all of a sudden it's a valuable instrument it gives the kid a gift of music, and it probably has a 20 to 30 year lifespan if you're keeping those problems small. And then, as you said, with grants and budgets and all that, that only makes the programs that even better. And right. they can grow, and then they can save more money to use it in other things. And then it's just a domino effect that everything keeps getting better, right. and, right. which is really important. So let's talk about the specific instruments that you guys are looking for. Are you looking primarily like band instruments? Are you looking for guitars and stringed instruments? Uh, what's what's kind of the range that you're looking at as of right now and or like to expand to? Yeah, great, great question, because ultimately we're serving the schools up here, right? So most of the schools have band programs. So we're looking for any type of band instrument. Percussion can get a little uh, wonky in terms of space, you know? The only instrument we don't take are pianos, because they're, I mean, and as a pianist. Well, why not? Yeah, because it's like, you know, you can uh, transport that. How many people maybe want to give away a piano that I don't know, it would it would cost four pianos to just fix the thing, you know, or uh, and then storage wise, you can imagine. So but anyway, (laughs) mostly band programs, but there are some string programs up here. So we're servicing string programs. Ultimately, they start in fourth or fifth grade. So some of the smaller ones, we we find use to them. But, you know, half size and bigger, um, they, they, they work. And what's interesting about guitars and ukuleles you think, well, that's not band or orchestra, but a lot of programs up here will have in their general music class or as an elective, something like rock and roll class or uh, ukulele class, right? So where, you know, you think of the small hands, how they can really learn to be uh, good little strummers and, and pluckers with with a ukulele, right? So yeah. we will take those as well because, well, two things, a lot of the programs, schools have that program and others, if they have the instrument, will then create that program. Right. So they don't they don't want to necessarily invest in buying 10 guitars. But all of a sudden, if we say, hey, we have, you know, a bunch of guitars, would you do a class that becomes a possibility? Right. So it's it's very exciting that way, again, starting from zero to to having something that could be brand new and that a kid could take an elective eventually in a school where they because now they have ukuleles to have ukulele class or whatever. 
that's really awesome to hear. Just opening up all those opportunities makes such a big difference in the lives of all these students and for the teachers, just the community in general. It's just a bright light for it, which is really awesome. Again, you're listening to In Touch Town Square Media, the Hudson Valley's public affairs and issues program. We are speaking with founder of We Are Instrumental, Evan Mack. Now, there's a lot of other things that Evan Mack is, and we'll get into that in a second. But I want to uh, one more definitely big question I really want to get into with We Are Instrumental, talking about the range, like the coverage, geographical region that you're currently at, and then how you've seen it trickle down to other areas or how it could be used in other areas. So yeah, first, uh, what what's the range that you're working with? Even though the range is wherever you're working with now, anybody can donate to you, right? Right. Yeah, we're, we're happy to, wherever you're located, to find a way to uh, get that instrument to our students. Because there's still, a, you know, there's a great need up here. One of the things we benefit in the Adirondack area, so that's six counties in New York State. So you have Washington, Warren, Clinton, Essex, Franklin, and St. Lawrence. Those are the six counties that we tend to up here. But the the benefit is that we're filled with gorgeous lakes and mountains and hiking and all of these, you know, skiing, you name it. And so ultimately our population triples in the summer. So mm. we get a lot of, we've received a lot of donations from people from the Hudson Valley and the, the city area and the capital region because they're coming to the Adirondacks. And when they're bringing their kayaks, canoes, and boats, they kind of throw that trumpet that's been hanging out in the closet for 15 years, you know, so we will find a way to get it. What we're doing also, we're, we're trying to be smart and strategic as we grow. And so uh, we work closely with the schools to understand their inventory and their needs so we can plan short, mid and long term. But ultimately, what we're coming up with is a model of how you address issues in rural or ex-urban school districts, right? Because they're running into those same problems, right? Dwindling, dwindling population, smaller tax base, maybe some economic issues where then the, the strain gets put on the school district. I mean, we, you know, we all witnessed the strain and stress of the what teachers and schools have to go through during the pandemic era, and it's only been, you know, exacerbated since, right? So hmm. if we're creating a model for these districts that want to help your kids, right, want to help kids, I, I equated to that we're trying to find a way to either get on the other side of the table when they're lifting it to help them lift. You know, we're not replacing anything. We're just helping them, you know, operate like they should. And also maybe finding ways to um, all have a better table, right? All uh, a way in which we can give kids the access that they deserve, they want, they need. And so going forward, I could see um, things expanding in a way using our model. Now, whether that means it's a you know a franchise idea or something where someone in the community wants to start that idea. We would ha- absolutely find ways to make that help because, you know, you'd be amazed on how many instruments are sitting around collecting dust. Yeah. Uh, you'd also be amazed on watching what kids are playing on because of, say, some sort of budget cut at a school. And those problems need to be fixed. And that's great to be able to even consider expanding, especially in a short amount of time, starting up in 2020 and 2023 has just begun. It's really cool to be able to hear the growth that you've been able to do with We Are Instrumental and the different uh, districts that you've been able to work with. That's really incredible. And kudos to you and everybody on the team for making that possible. Thank you very much. Yeah, we have a nice, hardworking team and a a wonderful board that that gives us guidance in terms of growing and then... um, 
wonderful partner up here, Michael Iterino is the director of bands at Ticonderoga. And, and he, he's the one who's kind of agreed to this idea and, and sort of understands navigating how, because he lives it every day as a, a band director, um, yeah. how those things work out. And, um, it, it's always this one We're we're kind of a grassroots idea, right? Because it's yeah. the, the, we is in the name. Right. And so, you know, um, it's community members finding ways to help out and, and grow and then listening as well. Cause they have a lot of connections to the district that they're coming from. And we can kind of foresee those issues, um, and try and help problem solve. Absolutely. Great to be able to get those problems solved ahead of time and take it all, take it all in on yourselves. That's really cool that you're able to do that. Earlier, we were talking about your music professor at Skidmore College, opera composer and pianist. So obviously, these are the things that inspired you in the first place with, you know, We Are Instrumental. All these things kind of led you to this point. So I'm curious a little bit about your background. Tell us about like your beginnings, your inspirations, how you got into all that and where you are now. And love to hear about the operas that you've done. Uh, if I'm correct, you've written and have produced seven operas? Yes, I've been very lucky. Yeah, I've had, um, it's, a, it's always a long process, but yeah, I've had seven operas written and produced and performed all over the country and some, uh, you know, still on a regular basis, which is very nice. Um, That's amazing. Got, I grew up in, well, Forestburg, New York, between Fort Jervis and Monticello. Went to Port Jervis School District. Um, I started piano at age seven. Um, and actually, it was, it, again, it was a, a gift of an instrument. My my godfather gave uh, me and my brothers a Casio keyboard for Christmas, one of those 20 oh, yeah. things. Yeah. And it collected dust for a year. And then my older brother started taking trumpet in school. And I wanted to be like my older brother. And I started plunking out notes and I got put into piano lessons. You know, my, my parents are both teachers uh, from Monticello. Uh, and retired after you know decades of service to those school districts, but they they prioritized a sense of lessons as limited as their budget was growing up with three boys. I was blessed to have piano lessons, so I started with a teacher Frank Schwartz and Glenn Spey. I switched to a, a pianist who had in Goshen, New York. I was very fortunate he had fled when the Soviet Union fell, and so that allowed me growing up in. Port Jervis, not necessarily to get that next step of driving to New York City, but now only driving to Goshen. And so Sergei Arazamanov was my teacher until high school, and that got me then on the path into college and graduate school and uh, all of that. So, you know, I went to school in Nashville, Tennessee for my undergrad at Vanderbilt and then got my master's and doctorate at the conservatory in Cincinnati. Only then did I start writing operas. Like I, I was always just a pianist and then composed along with it, right? I I'd written musicals growing up and that had been done in the area. And, um, but I, I was kind of the last to know I should go into music. I actually wanted to do either music or medicine. So it was kind of this, all right, I guess I'm doing, I, I mean, I love music. I was like, there's no way I'm doing any more physics. I'm done. Like no more chemistry. I'm out, you know? Uh, so, uh, yeah. And then I, I started writing operas. My, my first, I was very lucky that my first opera ran in New York city wow. in 2011 for an entire month at the Brezhnikov art center. Yeah. And then it, it just went from there. And so I, I have this love of collaboration and um, the magic of theater. And so I think that's where my career keeps going, you know, because it's that sense of working with others and doing stuff for the stage that that gets people inspired. That's so cool. Now, one thing about your operas. So going to music college myself and when we studied operas, we studied a lot of the foreign language operas that were written like 1700s, 1800s. You don't hear or at least it doesn't seem like uh, you don't hear a lot about modern day operas being written. And uh, are yours written in English? Are they written in other languages? Yeah, well, no, that's a great how, question. How do you go about yours? 
Yeah, no, that's a great question because, you know, the, the tradition has been, right, Italian or German have been the ones that we studied in school or I would say yeah. fell asleep to at school sometimes too. Like, like, to be honest, that's fine. They're long, you know. Sorry, uh, Dr. Roder. <laughs> and, and some are positively gorgeous and they're riveting, but others, you know. So, um, but yeah, I, we've been actually very fortunate in the last, uh, actually since the turn of, you know, uh, in the 2000s, we had more, we've had more American operas written from 2000, 2012 than all the last century combined. And so that record mm-hmm. keeps getting broken every day. A lot of regional companies will do American opera. So yeah, my operas are in English. They're American stories. You know, they go from, I have a, uh, my first one was Angel of the Amazon about a nun from Ohio who was murdered in the Brazilian Amazon in 2005. So, you know, it was in, premiered in 11, right? So very recent history, living and breathing. Yeah. Two comedies about Boris Yeltsin's visit to a Texas grocery store, and that's become a musical now. Um, and, you know, uh, even one uh, that that still gets a lot of performance is called The Ghost of Gatsby, and that's about uh, a day in the life of Scott and Zelda Fitzgerald, right? So there's nothing more American wow. in that, right? Yeah. It's, you know, looking at the people, uh, you know, where you read your 11th grade English book, you know, the, the great Gatsby and the author and his wife and the tumultuous marriage behind that. That's one of the topics, right? So it's, it's these stories that are timely, but also timeless. That's where the opera gives me that benefit of we can kind of reflect on what's happening today, but through a lens of some other subject or some other time period or some other social issue that's occurring. And that hopefully will mean there'll be longevity in these pieces going forward. Wow. No, that's so cool. It was it was cool to hear about it initially on that AHA program, but like to hear about you talking about it now in this depth is really, really cool. Again, you're listening to In Touch, Town Square Media, the Hudson Valley's public affairs and issues program. We are speaking with Evan Mack, founder of We Are Instrumental, also pianist, opera composer, and professor of music at Skidmore College. We've been talking about how We Are Instrumental gets musical instruments into the hands of children who need it with various districts, especially upstate in the Adirondack area, but how that model can translate just about anywhere. We've been talking about Evan's uh, background in music and the operas that he has written, and it's so incredible. Now, Evan, as we wrap things up, I, I really want to ask this question, whether it's giving instruments to kids or in the opportunities where you can get students to see your operas or experience other culture, what's the thing that you take out of it the most? Yeah, it's a great question. To me, the most fulfilling part has been watching a kid open up a case and seeing something shiny and new that they're going to have a brand new relationship with. So, you know, it's that new trumpet, that new saxophone where their eyes just light up and you go, that kid is going to be on a path that they choose and there's now a barrier that's not in their way. And so to me, that's the thing, the takeaway that you're giving kids the limitless potential that they could be the next composer or they could be the next you know, doctor who wants to then play saxophone as a way for stress release. You know, uh, who knows when you're giving that gift of music, it's endless. But what we have to recognize is that, you know, the importance of education and a music education affects the overall well-being of a child. And so starting early and making sure that they have that access, that's going to keep me going. And it should inspire your audience to find a way that they can help out. That's great. You know, somebody who grew up in music programs all through my life, I think as early as like third, fourth grade, I really resonate with that mission and that goal. And I know that it's helped me out throughout my life. Hell, it's saved me so many times. 
And just to be able to give that to students and to be able to keep that tradition going is really, really beautiful. So, Evan, thank you so much for being here on In Touch, telling your story, telling about your program. How can people find We Are Instrumental or any more information about you and your work? Right. So uh, weareinstrumentalny.org has ways for you to uh, donate instruments, donate monies for repair, sponsor kids in lessons, or sponsor kids for enrichment opportunities such as field trips and, and performance opportunities to see in New York. For me, evanmack.com. Uh, has updates on everything. You can follow us on social media as well. We're, we're, uh, we're Instrumentals on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. And again, all of the links and contacts will be in the description of this episode. Evan, thank you so much for being here on In Touch. Such a great pleasure. Thanks. This has been this week's edition of In Touch, the public affairs and issues program that runs across Town Square Media, the Hudson Valley radio stations. We want to give a big thank you to Evan Mack. For more information on We Are Instrumental, go to weareinstrumentalny.org. For more info on Evan himself, you can visit evanmack.com. Of course, all links and information can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you to everyone who listened to In Touch in 2022 and now into 2023. And if you just discovered us, welcome. Last year saw a lot of growth for this program, and we expect even more to come in 2023. You can find In Touch episodes, new and old, on your favorite streaming services like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. That and listen on demand with your Townsquare Radio Station mobile app. Of course, you can still find all articles and audio under the In Touch tab on this radio station's app and website. And don't forget, we're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at InTouch underscore HV. We're booking guests for the rest of the year 2023. Whether you have a topic you want discussed or you want to be a guest, the best way to contact us is through our office number, 845-471-1500, or email direct to connor.walsh at townsquaremedia.com. I've been your host, Connor Walsh. Until next time, stay curious, keep an open mind, and as always, I'm glad we get to spend some time. <laughs>